approximately 600,000 men, women, and children who lived in Jerusalem at that time. Now, scholars of today, Tacitus lived in the first century, scholars of today would say, well, that's quite inflated. It probably wasn't 600,000. It was probably more like 60,000. Or maybe some would say 100,000. But 600 is two-thirds the size of DuPage County, all living within the city walls. Now, there were several festivals that would occur throughout the year, and Jewish people were encouraged to come to the capital city to worship in the temple. Three of them occurred during what we call Passover week. At that time, the uh, population of the city swelled to two or three times the size of its normal population, maybe as much as um, one and a half times the size of Cook County or the city of Chicago, or to put it a little more easy to understand, were the Cubs to win the World Series again, the uh, parade route down Michigan Avenue to Grant Park. It'd be about that size there for one week. Worshiping in the temple. Imagine what would it be like? What would it be like to honor and to welcome a visiting dignitary coming into the city? How would you uh, prepare for that? What would you wear? And my goodness, what would you do if you came face to face with that dignitary? How does one welcome him or her? Well, about a year ago in May of 2017, Donald Trump visited the Western Wall of Jerusalem. Now, most of our presidents have all visited the uh, Wailing Wall, the, the area that is literally part of the ancient temple quadrant. That wall was there at the time of Jesus. He is the only visiting president to do so, however, but I want to share with you a couple pictures. I ask that you put the first one up here. This is taken from, uh, I believe, the New York Times, a picture of Kaiser Wilhelm 120 years ago. He was king of Prussia and the uh, German Kaiser of what then was called Germany in 1898. He was coming to visit the old city, and so he put a superhighway paved with German or Prussian money all the way from the Mediterranean all the way to the city wall of Jerusalem. Imagine how many poor people could be fed instead. That's gross uh, wastage of funds. But here he is walking, or actually riding on a white stallion. He said in scripture, Jesus came riding on the back of a donkey. So I'm going to come into the city riding on a white stallion. Imagine that. We should add in uh, exclamation that um, his army lost World War I. And so maybe he was humbled that gross uh, arrogance on his part. Let's 
share one more picture. This is of uh, Roger Brown. The name of this oil painting is Entry of Jesus Christ into Chicago in 1976. Now, I love this picture because you can see the Hancock building. There's no other building like it in the world. And if you were to look at this, every window has someone watching. Everyone's looking at the dignitary who's coming. And of course, here is a uh, stand. Uh, the Chicago politicians are all there. I think possibly Jane Byrne, the mayor, is in the middle there. Other politicians, people are standing. And oh my goodness, here comes Jesus, not in the back of a donkey. He's riding on a flatbed truck. You see, way over to the right there. And there is one disciple, a woman, who is laying a palm branch. You can't see it well, but she's laying the palm branch in the street for our Lord who's entering Chicago. What would it be like to have a dignitary coming to our city, to our neighborhood, to our community? What would you wear? How would you react? A triumphal entry turns into, in just a few days, beginning with triumph, but now ending in agony, suffering, and death. On the back side of your bulletin uh, sermon notes, there's a page for you to write all the notes, but if you turn it over, you'll see further notes, including some scriptures for you to read and examine this week. Because you see, the Palm Sunday story is foretold all through scripture. The prophets, the Psalms or wisdom literature, and even the Torah all mention the dignity of the Lord coming in parade. There's contradictions, you see, in Palm Sunday. What began with great triumph ends up with a lot of suffering and agony for Jesus, for those who believed and followed him. And I would add that that continues today. I notice working at Windsor Park, both Chaplain Tom and I are privileged to work at Windsor. And for some people who live there, the uh, holidays is not a time of great joy. It's a time of being reminded of the brokenness in their families of uh, sometimes a family reunion coming back into this area and children who don't talk with each other must now do so with mom or dad present. Or maybe there's a loss of a child or a grandchild or a spouse. A lot of feelings and thoughts. You would think that Palm Sunday and Easter would be a great period of joy for some people, maybe for you it brings some conflicted feelings. Now imagine if you were an eyewitness of the event of Jesus coming. What would you think? Consider the eyewitnesses that day. How would they have responded? Mary would have said, well, this is my son riding on the donkey. I love him very much. The residents of Nazareth would say, well, hey, that man on the donkey, isn't that the carpenter's son? The fellow that I knew growing up, he played kickball there in the street. Scribes and Pharisees say, look at that man. 
He's a lawbreaker, a troublemaker. He works on the Sabbath. He associates with people that are sinners. Lazarus, on the other hand, would say, that man brought me back to life. I owe my life to that man riding on the donkey. And Peter would have said, this is the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, everyone there who eyewitnessed the parade would respond in reference to their relationship with the one riding on that donkey. And so I would say, well, what is your relationship? Because you see, your relationship will determine how you identify Jesus coming into the capital city. All people identify Jesus in context of their experience with him. Jesus soon ran into opposition, intrigue, betrayal and desertion, a mock trial, suffering, and then death on a cross. A triumph of Palm Sunday was temporary when it should have been permanent. After all, the prophecy was given by Zechariah hundreds of years before. Zechariah said, Rejoice greatly, daughters of Zion. See, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. It's a temporary triumph that Jesus experienced on Palm Sunday. And the triumph of his enemies appeared to be the ultimate triumph. It seemed that it was the end of Jesus' mission. And soon they would take him and kind of put them all together in a box and put them away in the ground and forget about him. When the opposition could not intimidate Jesus and get him to recant, they sent him packing to King Herod and then to the cross. The Jewish leaders got rid of Jesus forever, at least that's what they thought. They hated Herod's placard, which was nailed with Jesus at the top of the cross. Here's the king of the Jews. A sign put above Jesus on the cross. They wanted the imposters, so to speak. That's what they thought of him. They wanted him killed. And so he was. But their triumph, their triumph was temporary. So you see, Everything is shifted around. Those who were eyewitnesses to the Palm Sunday parade, their view is in context of a relationship to Jesus, and everything was flipped around and turned around. And those who were happy about it, their experience also was turned around. Which leads me to wonder, how will my faith this Easter week that we are soon to come now to Passion Week, Holy Week, how will my faith be changed? For you see, I may come to this experience, the stories of the Palm Sunday and then the betrayal of Judas 
and then a crucifixion and being buried in the ground. And then my faith will be renewed in a way that I did not expect. And I would suggest that could happen for you as well this week. The triumph of enemies was also temporary because you see, God took a hand in the proceedings. God raised up Jesus as the scripture said he would on a third day. They could kill Jesus, but they could not keep him in a tomb. His victory at the tomb had eternal significance. And so we read in our scriptures and the sermon notes, the New Testament presents an analogy and then a prediction of an actual event that will occur. These are what I might call Palm Sunday parades. First of all, we read in Colossians 2 and 2 Corinthians 2 of an analogy of a heavenly parade. Back then, the, the military might was the army of Rome. And when they would conquer, as they warred all through the Mediterranean area, all the way to Persia, almost to the beginnings of India, as they would conquer their enemies, they would then bring them back to Rome, strip them, and force the enemies to walk, including the kings and the rulers and the generals, to walk through a gauntlet of ridicule and derision. And that is what will happen in a heavenly parade someday when the enemies of our lives are processed before all humanity, before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on a throne. It's a heavenly parade that will occur. That's the analogy here in Colossians and 2 Corinthians. But we read as well in the book of Revelations of an actual parade. That's one reason why I really enjoy seeing children and palm branches every year in church. Because you see, this is a dress rehearsal for what we will all participate in someday before God's throne in heaven. Palm branches will be waved. And those who have conquered death through Jesus Christ will be dressed in white and will be singing songs of praise to the Lord. Why? Because he has conquered everything that would defeat you and me. Did you hear that? Everything, every concern, every worry or problem that would defeat you or me will be conquered by Jesus Christ. And that is why it is so important for you and me to give our hearts and our allegiance to Jesus Christ because he has promised to conquer your enemies. He is victor, and that is what Palm Sunday is teaching us. He is the victor. God, almighty God, makes Jesus' temporary victory a lasting one. Now we read the Palm Sunday story in all four Gospels. You know, not every story of Jesus is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're sprinkled all through the four 
different Gospels, four different perspectives by four different writers. Today we read from Mark, who was a young man who received, according to tradition, he received the dictation from the Apostle Peter. And so the Gospel of Mark, as historians would say, is the eyewitness view of Peter as to what happened on that very day. And we read that all four Gospels present the Palm Sunday story. And we look at all four Gospels and we gather what will occur when Jesus enters our lives. Because indeed we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit lives within you. And your life and my life becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. We read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. So what happens when the Holy Spirit enters life? And I would suggest that what happens when God's Spirit enters our life is paralleled into what Jesus does when he enters the temple. He purifies it. We read stories how he took the money changers' temple uh, uh, tables and he turned them over. He had a whip and he whipped all the business people that were making money from the poor <coughs> individuals seeking funds so that they could bring their prayers to God. Jesus purifies the temple. Not only that, he transforms the temple into a house of prayer where there's communion with God. And that is what Jesus will do when he enters your life. He will cleanse and take out the cobwebs and the dust and the dirt. And he, over time, will cleanse your life and make it truly a temple of God's spirit within you, purifying your words, your thoughts, as you bring them to God. He brings healing where there's injury, pain, and dysfunction. We read in Matthew's account that Jesus healed people then in the temple. And finally, he taught about life. And this is what Jesus will do when he enters our lives, the temple of the Spirit. He purifies us. He transforms our lives into an ongoing house of prayer. He brings healing, and then he teaches or he instructs us on how to live. Let me tell you the story of uh, a fellow by name of Tom who lives in Georgia. And he writes in an article about the time when he was uh, like the little kids here this morning with the children's sermon. It was Palm Sunday, and he, the other members of the children's group were given instructions that they would process down the aisle, waving palm branches with the music. And what does Tom do? He was only maybe five years of age. He uh, walked over to a box of colors, of crayons, and he picked up a purple crayon, and he went to a little girl in the youth group who was wearing brand new white shoes. And guess what he did? He colored her shoes and made them purple. He was just trying to be nice. 
maybe trying to get a little attention, but Gail, now this little five-year-old girl, had purple shoes, and she was just sobbing and crying as the boys and girls came down the aisle. And Tom was, Tom Maddox was just having a delightful day. Well, Gail's mother said, listen, don't look at your shoes. Look at the cross. The mother told, trying to get her daughter Gail to stop crying, said, just Gail, just look at the cross as you come down the aisle. Now, we move forward a number of years, okay? And Gail and Tom are still members of this same church, only they're all grown up. And Tom now is having a lot of life problems and difficulties. He lost his job. He uh, had difficulty at home with family. And who in the church reached out to him to encourage him and to pray for him? Two individuals who are now adults. It was Gail. Gail, the one who had purple shoes. Only this time, not only has she outgrown her shoes, but she's taken on a serious disease called cancer. And it is Gail that comes to Tom and prays for him and encourages him. You see, her Palm Sunday experience of looking to the cross somehow had been implanted in her mind. And she said those very words to Tom. Whatever you're facing this week, Tom, look to the cross. Look to the cross. So, how would you, how would you welcome a visiting dignitary coming? We don't have the Palm Sunday experience of Jesus riding on a donkey coming to Wheaton or to this community, but we do have the analogy of Jesus coming and knocking on the door of your life and desiring to deepen a relationship with you. How will you respond? What will you say? When I pastored the Covenant Church in Beloit, about 40 years ago, we had a, a very fine, faithful gentleman who was a pharmacist in town. He happened to be chairman of the church. And he was invited by another pharmacy to go to the Bahamas every summer so that the Bahaman pharmacist would have the opportunity to go to the States for vacation. And so my friend Richard had the opportunity for one month to go to the Bahamas and work every day as a pharmacist. Now it so happened that uh, this one uh, month in the middle of the summer was for the first time an opportunity to meet the Queen of England. She was coming to visit one of the territories of Great Britain. Never had happened before. And so for several months all the residents of the Bahaman Island, the Grand Bahamas were, were instructed by the mayor and by school teachers, by the newspaper on how to behave, how to act, 
when the Queen of England is coming to our community, for example, you don't go and approach the Queen unless she wants to talk to you. you if you're a woman, you just curtsy. If you're a man, you might nod your head, but you keep your distance. And uh, my friend Richard, he didn't go to any of these meetings because he's an American citizen. He's not a citizen of Great Britain or the Bahamas. And so it came that very day in the middle of the summer. The airplane landed at the airport and everyone in the whole island was there at the airport. As the staircase was brought to the uh, airplane and down the stairs came the Queen of England. And before anyone could stop him, why Richard got so excited, my friend from the Beloit Covenant Church, what does he do? He just goes underneath the barricade and he walks right up to the staircase and he's standing there much to the gasps of all the British subjects. And she comes down the staircase and he extends his hand like this. He says, welcome, Queen Elizabeth. Welcome to our island. And she looked at him and she said, you're an American, aren't you? <laughs> and he said, yes, I'm an American. And she looked at him and smiled. And he looked at her and smiled. Let's pray together. I'm reminded of that beautiful Christmas song, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Grant, Lord, this week a renewal of faith for every person here today. And may your spirit enable us to open up our lives in a new way. For Jesus comes to be our Savior and to lead us to eternal life. We pray in your name. Amen. Please stand and we will respond to the message we just heard.
Higher name. 